This is Wednesday's Women, hosted by Caitlin and Taylor. We invite you to join us in a candid conversation about the roles of women in political organizing and beyond, as we celebrate the centennial celebration of the 19th Amendment. We hope that you find this episode educational, entertaining, and the women we discuss inspiring. If you like what you hear, subscribe and share. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Wednesday's Women. It is a beautiful Saturday morning. It is uh, raining where I'm at, so what a better time to film an episode. So today we're going to be talking about Marietta Bones, Clarion Proud. <laughs> it is. Go ahead, it's Taylor. the only suffragette we'll discuss this season that originates from Clarion so it is really cool I guess to see you know a lot of a lot of the ones we discussed were active in New York and DC but to see someone homegrown she didn't stay in Clarion she did get her roots here yeah exactly um and we were just talking right before we started filming and we were like we need to talk about this in person on the podcast it was so difficult to find in-depth information about her life, especially her life in Clarion and her family's, like, part of the abolitionist movement and stuff. Like, I, we were really surprised about how difficult it was to find her early life. Yeah, I mean, we try, we always list our sources at the end of every episode on um, the episode descriptions, and last week we used, you know, Anthony's website, the museum, this week, I think one of our sources is like a WordPress blog, <laughs> um, Wikipedia, just because there was so little information um, about her and most of the information, as we discussed, she ends up leaving the suffragette movement. And most of the information was very critical of her for that. So while I agree it's important to discuss that, I also think, you know, she made some big contributions to the movement and they should be discussed as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I ended up doing a deep dive into, like, Clarion County, Potters County, like, I went on some web pages where it's, like, the history of this county, so it's not only about that, and I just had to do some deep diving into dates and, like, family histories and graves and different stuff. I went, I went, it was, like, one o'clock this morning, and I went on a deep dive of the internet. But with that in mind, we can get started. So Marietta Bones, she was born on May 4th, 1851 here in Clarion. So that's really neat. Um, her family, her father specifically, actually ended up living in Clarion for 48 years after she was born, which is interesting because that means she saw, he was able to see um, for background information, I guess I should say. Clarion University started as a seminary school, a boys' seminary school, and so for a long time, until 1887, actually, girls were not able to participate in Clarion uh, academics, and so since he was there for 48 years, he was there whenever uh, they switched over to women being able to participate in the university, so I think that's a really neat thing and interesting to see since his daughter ended up being so involved in the female uh, suffragette organizations that she was so his name was James A. Wilkins and he was a known abolitionist his home was actually stopped on the Underground Railroad um, a little bit of information about the Underground Railroad um, especially in Clarion um, the Underground Railroad was given that title by Southerners 
uh, to the secret dispatching of escaped slaves to the north to Canada and safe northern points. Uh, there were very few citizens that knew, systematic, sorry, transportation of fugitive slaves through Clarion County specifically. Um, there was no fewer than four stations there, and the conductors were some of the most respected and substantial citizens of the county, which is really interesting because James Wilkins was a farmer. So um, I, it was really hard because I wanted to figure out, based on that information, how he got involved in that and how his family got involved in that, but it was not, I was not able to figure that out. So I'm not sure how he was able to get that kind of... I don't want to say publicity, that kind of reputation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how he got the reputation. I will just say for those who don't know Clarion, many cities on Clarion sit on the Clarion River. Um, and it, the easiest way to transport slaves on their way to Canada was by water. So I'm not really shocked that there were a lot of stops in Clarion just because I mean, the Clarion River is such a huge thing just for college students. You figure the trestle, the loop. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think eventually you just start approaching people. So a farm, you could hide a lot of people on that much land. Um, but I will, it would be interesting. Unfortunately, there's very little information. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure what, what you would have to do probably to figure it out would be to contact descendants and then go through records that would be the way to go about it yeah you need like genealogy at the library almost to yeah. see what he did and it's really interesting to see that there was so many uh people helping with this initiative in clarion because it was really a serious crime if you were found to be harboring and aiding in the fugitive slaves um a penalty that was um, put in by Act of Congress in 1850 included a fine not exceeding $1,000 and imprisonment not exceeding six months, also civil damages. So $1,000 in 1850, can you imagine? And then the greatest care was exercised to conceal the operations of the movement and the convenience, uh, not convenience, conveyance of the slaves was necessarily done, was usually done by night, which makes sense because they needed that extra amount of security to not be seen. Um, almost all of the slaves who passed through in western Pennsylvania were from Virginia and male, and they were mostly all escaping their masters. And I, I found information about specific people in Clarion County that helped, and I found a deed talking about a deed for an underground railroad that had the name of Wilkins, but it didn't specify it was James A, and I couldn't find any more information on it. So, and it wouldn't, it didn't say the location because it was like a, a excerpt from a deed. So it didn't give me that information. So he's definitely in there. I just, it's just so hard to find information about him. Yeah. And I will say we don't know exactly where in Clarion Marietta Bones was born or lived again. Yeah. Um, well, and she did her schooling. We're going to talk about this here in a second, but she did her schooling in Meadville and in Washington, Pennsylvania, obviously, because um, that Clarion actually did do a female seminary school before the boys seminary school, I found. Um, but it was before she was born and they didn't feel that it was, uh, I guess, necessary, for lack of a better term. So they decided to... Uh, get rid of it and put in the boys seminary school so she didn't even have that opportunity to go to school close to where she lived 
Her mother, we will get talking to now, um, was Jane Trumbull, who was a descendant of Jonathan Trumbull, who, if you don't know, was a friend and political advisor of George Washington. So that's really neat to see that it was not just her father who um, was active in the political scene and in, you know, I would guess, um, like social equality and working towards things in government, but also her mom's side of the family. She, like we said, attended two seminary schools, one in Meadville, one in Washington. Both were, I know Washington's was female. Do you know if, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, Hoda Coper was female only, I'm assuming? I looked up Hoda Coper. That's the pronunciation we'll just go with. There is very little record of it that I could find other than like, this is where it was. It's now a high school. And I'm like, thank you, but like, what was it before the high school? <laughs> yeah, really? Um, but I'm not sure. I would assume it was all female just because at the time it was kind of odd to have like co-ed, co-ed <laughs> seminaries. Um, but I can't, like, I can't confirm that. Right. Um, and part of me wonders if, like, at that time, they were inc- more inclined to suffragette work, given the fact that they were constantly with women, and they saw only, like, what women went through, like, they weren't able to see any, I guess, advancement. Part of me, that's just something, that's just a side note in my mind of, like, I wonder how that impacted her journey. Yeah, I think there's also, um, just some privilege we have to note here. She came from a fairly well-off family. They weren't rich, but they certainly weren't struggling. She attended two seminary schools. Um, her mother was well-connected. Her father was well-connected. Um, it's, it wasn't nobody's joining the suffragette movement. These were people who had connections. Um, so I think that is important to know, um, just for the sake of transparency, I guess. That yeah, Absolutely. Back then, being politically involved itself was a privilege and not just seen as a right to everyone. So I think that also plays into it a little bit, that you you sort of see yourself not receiving the same treatment as your cohorts and become frustrated with that. Whereas in lower class situations, they just had to deal with that. They were working and they didn't have time to concern themselves with Oh, I didn't get to vote this year. Yeah, really. They were focusing on more pressing matters like, do we have food? Do we have yeah. what we need to be able to stay afloat? What's for dinner, not who's on the ballot. Yep. So I do think all of the suffragettes we'll speak about in this time period were fairly privileged just to have the availability to them. Yep, to I agree. Them. So... Marietta Bones, she married Kendall Parker and had two children, but she actually was very controversial because she divorced him in 1876. Divorce was hella controversial at the time. Through that, she maintained custody of her children. It is thought that this um, event in her life is why she fought so hard for women to be able to easily access divorce or simply falling out of love with their spouse, since she knows what it was like to have gone through a marriage where you kind of just fall out of love. And it's important to note that she kept the kids because at this time, it's kind of weird to think about because now you think mostly of, you know, the mothers get custody typically, but at this time, the fathers were seen as um, sort of the head of the household, the ruler sort of. So if the wife 
did leave, she was legally obligated to leave the children with the husband. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about it, I don't think it was during our Anthony special, but I think it might have been during the Four Waves of Feminism, the fact that joint cust or no maybe it was because i know anthony fought for women to be able to have those that ability to have joint custody yeah and i know about how difficult it was at that time because you as a woman had no rights for your children you had no rights for property so you were just kind of no rights for your financials everything was the property of the husband um after that divorce, she married Colonel Thomas Arthur Bones in 1881. Um, he was the president of the Board of Commissioners that built the Soldier's Home in Hot Springs, South Dakota. Now that is an assisted living facility operated by the VA. So interesting. Uh, again, he's also well off. So you can see that by being a colonel, she's going to continue to have those privileges that she had earlier in life, which I'm sure helped advance her in the suffragette movement because she had opportunities where they didn't have to, like we said, worry about food and uh, taking care of themselves financially. They were able to focus on other things. And again, in the suffragette movement, she was carrying not only her name, but his name. You know, her father was a renowned abolitionist. Her husband built um, the Soldier's Home, which I don't think it's a national landmark, but it's one of those very historic, you know, one of the first to be a place for soldiers to come and live post-war. Um, so she is carrying, you know, a lot, of, a lot of punch to her name. She's a recognizable figure. She's She's not someone off the street. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she died in Washington, D.C. on July 11th, 1901, which is over 100 years ago. She also never got to see the fruition of the 19th Amendment. However, based on what we're going to talk about, it's very um, mixed opinions on how she probably would have reacted to the 19th Amendment coming about. So her suffragette life. So she served as the vice president of the National Women's Suffrage Association for South Dakota for nine years, which was from 1881 to 1890. Um, in 1882, she represented Dakota territory to the National uh, National Suffrage Convention in Omaha. And at Susan B. Anthony's invitation, which is really important because right now it seems like they're getting along, but that will not always be the case. Um, she was asked to make an address for the convention, uh, which she did. And then in 1882, she spoke publicly for suffrage for the first time on the 4th of July celebration in Webster, which I thought was really interesting because in 1882, that's when she was, it was the 4th of July was when she had her first um, time she spoke out publicly and we're coming up on the 4th of July this Saturday. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, and, and I think it's, it's important to discuss um, Anthony. Last week we discussed Anthony felt that women often were discouraged from speaking publicly. She said it's one of the most contested steps forward women have taken. And so Anthony was known for inviting people to make addresses to sort of get women comfortable in a public setting where you know, it's all women fighting for the same thing. You're a little more comfortable. Um, just thinking like if you're in your friend group, you're comfortable speaking to a lot of people, but maybe you're not comfortable giving a presentation to the class. So she was known for 
um, sort of setting women up to go give speeches elsewhere. And so that's, that's what, likely what she was doing here. That's really neat, you know, that she would take time not only to advance her own voice, but to work towards advancing the voices of other women. Um, in 1883, Bones and Matilda Jocelyn Gage were the primary traveler lecturers advocating for suffrage across the Dakota Territory. Um, they traveled by railroad, and the Chicago, Milwaukee, and St. Paul Company provided them with rail passes, which was really nice, so that helped with fare. Um, even though they were well off, that would still help them greatly, because as women, they don't make their own money, so they would have had mm -hmm. to ask their husbands and everything else. Um, and then another thing that was interesting at eight, at the 1883 Sisterhood Convention in Sioux Falls, Bones attended all the meetings of the Committee on Elections and spoke to the Assembly for the inclusion of suffrage in the Constitution. And go ahead, do you have something you want to say? I just think this story is kind of funny. Um, there is some time, so it's not as, like, raw. Um, but we will talk about Bones gets very petty. Um, so what she's doing now is, at this time, South Dakota's trying to get ratified as a state and join the union. And so she is lobbying these committees, trying to get them to add an amendment that says women can vote. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think, not necessarily this is funny, but what comes next, I'll always think is funny, just because it's so petty. <laughs> but... Um, Unfortunately, she was unsuccessful in this. So I guess you can continue because I guess I jumped the gun a little. No, you're fine. Um, I also think it's funny. And I actually have something written here that I, like a little thing I was thinking whenever I was looking stuff up about this. Um, when South Dakota failed to ratify the amendment, they would give women the right to vote in the state constitution. Uh, Bones began to instead rally that South Dakota shouldn't be recognized as a state at all, which is what Taylor was referring to. Um, in one news account, the editor wrote that Bones, the untamed female suffragette of the day, county priories, wants no statehood without suffrage and is publishing articles in opposition to the statehood movement. The editor also published that she deplores the expense of the Constitutional Convention, but then asserted to readers that delegates were not paid, implying that she was lying to disparage the convention. Here's the thing, even if you're not paying your delegates, there's still a cost associated. Oh, yeah. Like, and, I mean, the expense of the Constitutional Convention, it very well could have been a lie just to try and discredit her. But just the idea that she's like, I really think we should add this to our Constitution. The committee said no. She immediately went down to the Capitol and was like, don't make them a state. South Dakota doesn't need to be a state let them stay a territory they're not for you know equal rights they don't represent the country well like that is mm -hmm. to petty. me it's petty but it's also kind of brave you know she has built a name and a reputation here um in Dade County she bought a plot of land a very large plot of land to put a courthouse on because she wanted the town she wanted to be the capital to be the capital Mm -hmm. So, you know, she built quite the reputation in South Dakota. Her husband built the sol or passed the soldier's home, like, and then to just come out and say, you know what, forget about South Dakota. We'll try with North Dakota and we'll see if it works better. Like, 
to me, that is incredibly brave, but also incredibly petty. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt that, like, she was putting herself out on a limb by by making these statements, being like, yeah, no. And I wrote, basically, if this, like, to something that would have been similar to that would have been, like, when we were fighting for the ERA, if somebody would have just been like, you know what, Noah ERA the United States really shouldn't be recognized as a country because if we can't even have an ERA, then how can we even appear to be like a good country in the eyes of any other country? Like we should just start over, maybe go to Mexico and see if they're, they're up for the ERA. And, yes. and yeah, and nobody was brave enough to do that, but she was brave enough to be like, South Dakota ain't where it's at if we can't have women voting. Um. After that, she sent a written request to the convention president's desk to be given five minutes to address the convention. And this, she was granted, and she was escorted to the president's rostrum by M.M. Moulton of Daco, and her address was quoted as, and I would like to, talk, I would like to read a portion of this address because I think it's very interesting. So she said, Mr. President and gentlemen of the convention, this honor conferred upon me of being allowed to address you upon this important occasion, I assure you is fully appreciated not only by my sex, but by all unselfish and freedom-loving people. I am here to appeal to your justice in behalf of the women of our territory who are opposed to being left in our state organization with no more authority and self-government than have the paupers and the idiots. We are willing to do one half of the manual labor in the country and will promptly pay our portion of the taxes. As for sobriety and peaceful citizens, you know in this we favorably compare with male citizens. So she was like, you're treating us like garbage. We are just as good as the men. This is complete garbage. She is, and I think it's important, um, I assure you, is fully appreciated not only by my sex, so women appreciate me being here, but all unselfish and freedom-loving people also appreciate my presence. Yeah. So she kind of learned um, when she first addressed the convention and they sort of wrote some not nice articles about her. Oh, yeah. Are you going to write an article and identify yourself as a selfish, freedom-hating person? So I do think she was um, a little more avant-garde than Anthony in her efforts. But I also think they paid off in some aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I do want to say, like, at the time, I think it's very similar, like, the way she acted in comparison to how, for example, uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton acted, where she said, like, we're being treated like paupers and idiots. And it's like, the paupers and people who are, uh, I'm not sure if she was referring to idiots as ADA or what she was referring to, but as far as paupers go, that kind of made me kind of sad that she's not also fighting for the equality of the poor. So, but... Just like Katie Stanton, who wasn't always super positive towards looking at abolition and wanting to include people of all races in her fight. And I think that comes a lot from privilege. And I will say it wasn't just Bones who referenced paupers and idiots. This was very common, and it was common to sort of 
you needed to distinguish yourself from something. Mm-hmm. And so some suffragettes would try and distinguish themselves from minority women and would try and say, you know, we are, again, we are wealthy, middle to upper class. We deserve more rights than, you know, someone who's not even seen as a citizen. Which at the time wasn't that controversial to say. Yeah. Now, looking back, we do recognize that this wasn't an inclusive movement. This was white, middle-class women. And it is always disparaging to see um, really any suffragette disparage another group of people just because they they also deserve... Intersectionality. Like we talked yes. about weeks ago, the fact that women's rights are human rights so the rights of any other group there are going to be women in that group so they are women's rights and they are women's issues um but like taylor said a lot of her comments that she's made and addresses aren't always seen as good and they were heavily criticized at the time by others who didn't share her beliefs so for example for the 1885 statehood convention bones actually wrote a letter to the delegates advocating for suffrage Um, An editor of the Kimball Graphic, which was a generally anti-suffragette literature blog type deal, reported that Bone's letter in bad English, so not only is it wrong, but it's just written poorly, protested vigorously against the injustice shown her sex and entreated the convention to immortalize themselves by granting women the right to use the ballot. The communication was referred amid laughter to the Committee on Elections and Right of Suffrage. So they're just trashing her. And then another paper from Yankton noted that she had been kept from attending the convention in person because of childbirth. I roll. And she actually responded to some of that stuff and sent a paper, sent a letter back to Yankton and said, give us equality, not to make us manly, but more womenly. We do not aspire to be, we do not aspire to being the head of the family but are honest and just enough to let each individual possess a head of their own, which I thought it reminded me a lot of me and Taylor's conversation when we talked about uh, waves of feminism and having a seat at the table in, or no, maybe it was with uh, Anthony. I'm getting all of our episodes confused, but we talked (laughs) about um, amplification and the idea of whenever you're having a meeting, continuing to, amplify the voices of the women around you because we all deserve to have a seat at the table and to be included in the conversation and that's what that kind of reminded me of no I agree I definitely think it's this idea again of just the fear was if we give women the right to vote they'll want to lead the household yep they'll want you know they'll want jobs and they'll want which technically eventually did become true but it's still not a reason to say you can't vote. And so her point here is we don't want head of the household. We want a say in things. Like right now, my husband determines everything for me. So I want my own say. And again, freedom starts at the ballot box. You start, you know, it's not the laziest way to organize but the most accessible way to organize almost anyone can vote physically can vote though there are there have since been parameters put in place to stop people from voting 
you know, it's, it's really your first step towards political organizing. So it's your first step towards individuality. Yeah. And it's important to note that the cult of true womanhood at that time was very active in saying, this is not okay. Women's place is in the home. That is where they belong. Any woman who thinks otherwise is going against kind of like her true calling. With that, one of the reasons there's very little on Marietta Bones is she does end up abandoning the suffragist movement. So she, there's a couple different reasons for this, um, similar to the South Dakota issue. Um, at the start of the movement, Bones was an avid advocate she turned the idea from a social, the idea of suffrage from a social question into a political one, addressing house chambers, delivering various speeches. So it was no longer just sitting in your town saying, I want to vote. She was taking this, you know, she was a traveling lecturer. She really expanded the movement with the guidance of other suffragettes. She clearly wasn't doing this all on her own. Um, however, towards the end of her time as a suffragette, she did end up having a falling out with big name suffragette Susan B. Anthony, who is believed to have got her really a foothold in the movement with the invitation to the convention and speech. So um, the first time she really had an issue with the movement was the National WCTU, which was a temperance organization allied with the Prohibition Party. So at the time there was an entire government party simply dedicated to Prohibition, which seems weird when you have a two-party Republican-Democrat system, but in other countries, you know, you see the Labor Party. Um, so it's not that odd to have like a party focus on one issue. I have a question. Yeah. Okay a little off topic. So I was doing some research about third parties. Um, is there still an active prohibition party? Another reason why is I was doing some work for my local township building and um, I was looking into stuff about uh, ordinances regarding the number of alcohol distributors and liquor licenses per county. And there was stuff about prohibition parties. So is that still a thing? Um, it very well could be. I don't, full disclaimer, I don't know all the parties that there still are. Um. Well, why not? <laughs> haven't taken that class yet. <laughs> but no, there's actually just a lot that are still, and I mean it, it could still be in certain areas and just not have a big enough national following to have a national party. Um, fun fact we still have a Nazi party. It's still active and like people are in it. And so like there are parties for really everything, um, even parties that there shouldn't be. So it wouldn't shock me if the Prohibition Party was still active. Um, wow. I just don't know. Yeah, so um, I found that out when I was doing research for, I work for um, the Campus Vote Project on as a democracy fellow to encourage students to get registered to vote. And when I was making those resource cards, I was looking at active parties. And yeah, we have like a ridiculous amount of parties, but none of them 
other than Republican and Democrat have garnered enough support to receive federal funding. So. Gotcha. Wow. Please continue. Thank you for humoring me. Um, but so the WCTU allied with the Prohibition Party, which frustrated Bones because she felt that temperance should be a nonpartisan issue. Um, so while she elevated suffragette to a political issue, she felt that temperance was best dealt with as a social issue. So it affects everyone. Everyone needs to be concerned about it. Um, so she was displeased to see the temperance movement aligning to a party. Um, in 1890, she later objected to merging the National Women's Suffrage Association and the American Women's Suffrage Association. So those were just two suffragette organizations, and later on we'll discuss a bunch of the different organizations. Um, so these two merged, feeling that if they worked together they could accomplish more than if they kept separate. Um, and she was very outspoken spoken about this is not a good idea, our ideals don't align perfectly, we shouldn't do this. So she was dismissed from the newly formed National American Women's Suffrage Association by Susan B. Anthony herself. So, Which is a big slap in the face. Yes, to be um, invited by someone to be, you know, sort of under someone's wing and then have them say you need to leave is incredibly disappointing. And I mean, Especially because it's Susan B. Anthony, who was, like, the face of the movement. Yes. Um, this was only the beginning of the feud, however. Um, South Dakota delegates had attended the National Suffrage Convention in 1889 um, to ask mainly for funding to conduct their campaign leading up to suffrage being on the public ballot in November 1890. So, like we discussed previously, women didn't receive their own paychecks, and therefore the suffrage movement didn't have a lot of funds. Um, so you're really asking your husband, can I donate to this group I'm in? And if he didn't agree with it, he told you no, and that was that. I mean, I'm sure there was probably some, like, stealing from pocketbooks, but realistically, they weren't getting the backing, so they were pulling all the money and then distributing it to places that really needed it. So the NAWSA promised funding to the South Dakota delegates. Um, the, once they returned to South Dakota, they made a campaign plan to do advocacy work through the Women's Christian Temperance Union, the WCTU. Um, and Anthony refused to turn over funds in fear that the state suffrage association would just turn them over to the WCTU. Yeah. Which is kind of what Bones was speaking out against when it happened. Um, but because the funds were denied to South Dakota and Bones felt they should have been turned over as they were promised, Bones publicly accused Anthony of embezzling suffragette funds. Um, which started really just a long sort of back and forth in newspapers, writing letters and saying she's stealing money, then saying, you know, she's not committed to the movement. Um, so, I mean, it was a huge deal back then to be accused of embezzling money, especially from something like the suffragette movement. So 
Then, when the suffrage amendment failed at the 1890 election, Bones published three main reasons she felt the amendment failed. She felt that anti-prohibitionists were solid against it, and that's why she had opposed so strongly making temperance a social issue or a political issue. She felt that the campaign had started too soon and thus the subject was completely exhausted and actually became tedious to its friends. Um, so it's kind of just the idea of constantly hearing about it. They were like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And finally, there is not a doubt that the domineering and avaricious Susan B. Anthony everywhere lessened our chances for victory. Her management, as it did in Nebraska in 1883, only tended to concentrate opposition against the movement rather than secure us votes. Oof. So she has now placed almost the entirety of this failure on Anthony's shoulders. Because again, the anti-prohibitionist goes back to joining the WCTU. Um, so that is obviously not something you want to hear as a leader. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm sure she was. Yeah. Um, in 1891, after 30 women in Webster printed an accusation that um, Bones had published lies and scandal against them, she sued the 30 women, um, the Aberdeen Republican, and the Andover Gazette for libel in the amount of $50,000. Wow, so, in 1891. So I wonder what 50,000 would be in, I'm looking it up. That's a lot of math. I was going to try and go off of the calculation for Susan B. Anthony's wage, but like that's a lot of math. Um, so I could not find the results of this lawsuit, um, like specifically stated. It is my understanding that she won. Um, I'm not sure the amount she won. I'm not even sure if she won an amount. She may have just won court costs. But it was essentially, the result was that the 30 women then had to stop publishing things. And the Aberdeen Republican and the Andover Gazette had to pull their, um, any future articles they were going to write on the incident. Wow. Also, $150,000-ish. So Which seems like a lot, but you figure that's split between 30 women and two newspapers. Yeah, that makes sense. So you figure 150000 between 30 women would really only be... Math. <laughs> I was going to say a number, but then I was like, if it's wrong, <laughs> I don't want to say that. Like 5,000 each if it's the entire amount on the 30 women, but then you also said there's the newspapers. Yeah, so it's still like an absurd amount of money, especially yeah. for back, especially for women who didn't have paychecks. Again, just reiterating that. Um, by 1892, Bones had actually begun actively campaigning against suffrage, saying she never saw more political wire pulling among men than there is among the women suffragists. So, um, again, this is likely sort of a jab at Anthony, just the idea that she's sort of running the show and she does it how she wants. Um, so again, this is the pettiness that we saw 
during her little South Dakota spat. Yeah. Um, so later, she does eventually move to D.C. That's where she unfortunately passes. Um, she actually did campaign against suffrage in house chambers and such in very political ways in 1897, 1898, and 1900, um, so up to a year before her death. Um, she, towards the end of her life, she began offering her D.C. home as an anti-suffrage headquarters, so people opposed to the suffrage movement could actually gather in her home. Um, in 1898, Bones wrote editorials for the newspapers opposing suffrage, saying agitators are principally spinsters and childless women. God, why? Again, this is a very direct shot at Anthony, who said she had devoted her life's work to suffrage and not to marrying, settling down. Um, and so a lot of the, well, not a lot of, there were only a handful of articles, but the articles I read stated that they don't even necessarily think Bones believed all these things. She was just saying what she knew would take Anthony off. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, because why would you be so invested early on in your life just to turn your back on it so abruptly? And she, you know, Bones was so involved. She knew that many of the women involved did have children and homes and families, and that's why, um, you know, I don't want to say it was a hindrance to the movement, but, you know, Anthony could have stayed out all night working, whereas they had to go home, make dinner, and that's fine. That's like completely okay. It is just something, the movement was very much adapted for women to be able to still maintain a family. So it is just this idea of like, is that really true? Or were you just trying to take Anthony off? I go with the latter. <laughs> she also contributed an article for a symposium set in the monthly South Dakotan, in which she claimed that women are represented at the polls by their husbands. She felt that voting would endanger the home for only idle maidens would have time to vote and responsible mothers would have to worry about their husbands at the pools with those idle women. That frustrates so, me so bad. So it is a little um, Harder to look past than agitators or principally spinsters or childless women because she knew that much wasn't true. However, this was like a genuine concern at the time. You didn't want your husband around unmarried women. Not sure why they thought married women wouldn't cheat, but like they wouldn't. <laughs> Only unmarried women would cheat. And you didn't want your husband to be around an unmarried woman because, again, you can't control her, but you can control your husband. And you know, if they cheat, it's the woman's fault. It's not the husband's fault. Yeah. It's not that he had any, he was, a magic wand was put upon him and he magically was like, oh, it's the woman's fault. She's, she's devil woman. Okay. Annoying. <laughs> Annoying. So this idea that women are represented at the pools by their husbands actually was fairly common for the time. And it's actually, like, very disparaging to men when you think about it. But the idea is my husband does as I ask of him. So if I ask him to vote for this person, he'll go vote for this person. So it's essentially saying, like, men can't think we think for them. Therefore, we have a spot at the polls. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that idea that the women are the moral compasses of the home and of, the, and, and of being of the home being the moral compasses of the country. 
So um, there were some ideas she used that people thought maybe weren't her own ideas. She just knew they were popular anti-suffrage rhetoric. Um, it's also interesting to note that she didn't really use a lot of her connections to push anti-suffrage. So she had built a huge um, network, really, through her traveling lecture series. She didn't do that again. Um, it was mostly like letters to the paper that were like, suffrage people are stupid. Really just to agitate Susan B. Anthony. Um, she, that being said, she did actively campaign in politics against suffrage, but again, not to the extent that she had campaigned for it. So there is this idea of, um, are you willing to abandon a movement just because you don't like the person leading it? Um, which I think to leave is fine. I disagree with opposing something that you are for. Yeah. Um, towards the end of her life, she invited anti-suffragette suffragist Elizabeth Cranell from Albany, New York to tour South Dakota and speak in opposition to the pending suffrage amendment. Here is just a theory I have about this. I could find no proof though I did search for hours. I love Taylor's theories. I'm ready. Susan B. Anthony was from New York. In DC there were a multitude of anti-suffragist people she could have picked from. I think she intentionally chose someone from New York to try and sort of steal Susan B. Anthony's spot. So Elizabeth Cranell almost serves in this purpose as a foil for Anthony. She's from New York. She opposes the suffrage movement. She goes on tour to speak much like Anthony did or would ask women to do. So I think this is very much I found someone better than you. Yeah, super plausible. Because honestly, there were so many anti-suffrage people, clearly, because it kept failing. Right. But why did you have to get someone from Albany, New York, other than Elizabeth Cranell did have a name as an anti-suffrage. She was from New York, much like Anthony, and was willing to travel with her and speak in opposition to the suffrage amendment. So that's just a theory. I have no proof for that. Trust me, I searched for hours for it. I really wanted to be able to be like, listen, guys, but that is a theory I have. And until that theory is proven wrong, I'll continue to have that theory. I love it. <laughs> so next, I guess we'll just get into our discussion questions. Um, first, should Marietta Bones's efforts as a suffragist be remembered and celebrated, or are her efforts to oppose women's suffrage too damning? So, whenever I read that, I was kind of thinking about this whole idea of cancel culture that we got going on in society today, and it's like, because it's like, do you think about what they did in the past, or are their actions of now what you should be, or their most recent actions, their true thing that they should be inspected for I guess is a good way to put it and it's because the thing is it's hard to decipher what is her thoughts on suffrage and what is her just being upset that she was kind of kicked out especially after playing such a large role yeah and she was petty and I get the frustration of like I put all this effort in you're kicking me out for voicing my opinion I 
Um, I disagree with the idea of celebrating her. Um, I actually don't think any one person should ever be celebrated. Um, I don't really like the idea of like idols or icons. Like I still say like, oh, that's iconic or like whatever. But it is this idea that in order to celebrate someone, you almost always have to look past their flaws. And once you elevate them to a pedestal, do you forget about those flaws? Or do you not hold them accountable anymore either? So we've talked about this a lot. The winner tells the story and stories are often very white male centric for history. And we often ignore the bad things that they did, you know? And it's very relevant today that we're now discussing how do you address, you know, famous figures holding slaves. Yeah. It was the thing to do at the time, but that doesn't mean we just ignore it. They still participated in an atrocious movement. So I don't think she should be celebrated. I do think she should be remembered for both things. I don't think we should ignore either thing. She did a lot of work for the suffrage movement, but she also fought against it for a period of time, which isn't great. Iconic. <laughs> but I don't think she should be completely erased because I still think it's a part of the suffrage movement. I completely agree. And I think based on how hard we had to, how many odd sources we had to use to find information on her, there is this idea of erasing her. And she clearly, it's not like we just picked some random nobody because they were from Clarion County. She clearly had a reputation, you know? I just can't believe there isn't more about her, like, I could not find anything other than the Clarion County history thing, I cite, I found nothing about like her being from Clarion, like no celebration of the fact that she was from Clarion, no, not even an article saying, oh, did you know that there was a suffragette in Clarion? Nothing, not one thing. I thought that was so weird. To clarify, Clarion has an autumn leaf festival just to celebrate fall. We're just like, yeah. hello, fall. Have a positive. That's like, crazy like we have thousands upon thousands of people return to our area to celebrate leaves it's like so you're telling me you don't have one article not one not even during her lifetime like whenever she was out doing something like not anyone saying hey james's daughter's like you know speaking and stuff like nothing there's nothing and i just i think that's interesting and i think um Hopefully I'd like to see that improve. I know the history department has its stories from the Pennsylvania wilds, I think. Yeah, something like that. It's it's like stories or tales from Pennsylvania wilds. And it's also a podcast just exploring the history surrounding Clarion County. Um, so I do think efforts are being made to like acknowledge, you know, some pieces that we've missed in collecting things over the years. But I just think it's odd, you know, she lived in South Dakota, she lived in Iowa, she lived in Clarion County, she lived in D.C., and there's really no record of her. Yeah, like, anywhere. That's a good point. Like, there is none for her in any of those other locations, either. And what's honestly funniest to me is South Dakota celebrates her the most. Like, there were the most articles from, like, history of South Dakota about her. Which is funny, because, like, she didn't want you guys to be a state, but <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> So I don't think 
think we should ignore her efforts. I just think we should acknowledge. Similarly, I don't think Anthony should be put on a pedestal. Anthony had her own struggles. You know? And she is very much idolized. Very much. Yeah, so I do think um, there is a risk. Obviously, cancel culture isn't good. I'm, I'm not saying we should just start canceling everyone because they said something bad. I'm just saying this idea of idolizing someone to the point where you're willing to look past their flaws is not great. Yeah. Should, should not be done, essentially. Um, next question. How would Bones feel about women's rights today? Uh, I think inside, like in her brain, she's probably would be really happy, but externally she would be like, why did it come about? And then she would be like, oh, we consider the Susan B. Anthony amendment and people go to her grave every year and put their, I voted stickers on her grave. And then she would like tweak a little bit and then she'd be like, yeah, nah, this is stupid. So I feel similarly, I feel like she would be excited to see the rights we have, you know, um, no-fault divorce has finally been legalized in all the states. Um, those things she would be excited by, I think the fact that people ever reference the 19th Amendment is the Anthony Amendment, you know, say she had lived to be 300 years old, it would have put her over the edge. Like, <laughs> she oh, couldn't no. have handled it. See, I just see her, like, being like, there is an amendment, and someone's like, yeah, it's the Anthony Amendment, and then she just tweaks a little bit, and everyone's <laughs> like, what happened? And she's just like, I don't know. <laughs> That's how I foresee that conversation going. I do, yeah, I definitely think um, she probably wouldn't be as vocal about her happiness towards it, but I, I don't think she would still be campaigning for women to lose rights. No, I doubt it, too. Um... Finally, do you think Bones would have utilized her right to vote had she been alive for the passing of the 19th Amendment? Yes, I think even though at the time, like, say she would have lived to be nine, into 1925, I think even then, if she would have been working for anti-suffrage once suffrage went through and we did have the right to vote, she would somehow twist the narrative to say that she needs to use her right to vote to push some other, some other, even if it is like an anti-woman, anti-woman's movement scheme, she would say that it is necessary for her to use that right to further those other things. So I definitely think she would have voted. Yeah, I think she would have utilized her right to vote. Um, I will say it wouldn't surprise me if like the first year she was like, I'm not voting, that's stupid. Just to sort of like, spit in Anthony's face a little mm -hmm. but I do think she would use the right to vote she did fight for it and like I said I think she still believed that women should have the right to vote she just didn't believe Anthony should be the face of the movement I agree um so I do think that plays a part in like how you go about things and how you portray things um I thought it was really fun to research someone from Clarion going I just school. wish there would have been more about it. Yeah, I, I'm disappointed. Um, but, you know, you but win we, some, you lose some. Yeah, really. Fun story. We put a poll up on our social media Friday night. 
I will check it tonight. We're actually recording this episode Saturday instead of Friday. The options for this poll are Sojourner Truth and Eleanor Roosevelt. So whoever wins majority there on our social media will be discussed about next week. Yeah, so make sure you go follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all the things. So that way you can participate. All right. Well, this has been your Wednesday's Women for this week. So hopefully you guys come back next week and get to listen to that. This has been Wednesday's Women, sponsored by the Clarion University CU Engaged Coalition. The thoughts and ideas presented in this podcast are meant to be for entertainment purposes first and foremost, and we do not claim to be experts in any field. As always, thank you for listening and make sure that you go out and register to vote.